Like I'm, I'm, I'm very impressed that I walked away um, from that presentation with as uh, with a list of games that I want to play that is as big as it is. Yeah, I, everything was pretty impressive. Like I was enjoying what they were showing. I liked more when it was showing gameplay versus watching cutscene because that never translates. Yeah. I'm super interested in Returnal. Um, I hope that game has some has an interesting gameplay loop, but I that premise is really good. The, um, yeah, the premise is good, and then it rem- I, the bullet hell reminds me of um, Near. Yeah, um, and I know that that developer's known for making like arcadey top-down twin stick shooters, so I'm assuming that it's probably going to be similar to that, even with just with a closer perspective. Um, uh, Strays, of course, because also, I, if you get to play as a cat, there, that's all that I need. Um, it's the cat with a questionable backpack. Yes. Um, Little Devil Inside uh, is uh, that one's art style is super charming, and I don't know what it is, but it looks really, really interesting. Um, oh, what was that last one where everyone was like, is this a Kojima game? And the first thing that I picked up on was that the astronaut spaceman's helmet looked like Isaac Clarke's from Dead Space. Yeah. um, Paradigms or Tesseracts or something like that. Yeah, para something. Yeah, yeah, because it popped up and I'm like, is this Ludens? What's going on? (laughs) Yeah. And I think the... So... I think the writer of Dead Space 3 was working on that game because he had mentioned that he'd been working on something for uh working on the game for a while and then like after the announcement uh after the conference all of those tweets got pulled. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that one looks really I mean we don't know what it is, but it looks interesting. Nope. Yep. I'm I'm um, Bug Snacks looks like an existential nightmare. I kind of wish, um, I kind of hope that that game has like stealth horror elements to it, just because it's so unpleasant, conceptually unpleasant. Yeah, I don't, I don't like it. Um, <laughs> it could because they're that meaty, meaty boy that runs up at the camera at the end. The the bug Pe- food composite monster that attacks yeah. the camera. It's because people kept eating them snacks and fully transformed. I didn't like when the mayor was like, I can't get things with my meat hands. I'm like, I yep. never want to hear that again. <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't want to see that game. <laughs> it's um, horrifying. And and I think if Blue Point nails this Demon Souls remake, they might just become the go-to remake developer. Yeah. Which... It it's one of those things where you you play the game 
and you know what it looks like, but then you're watching the just the screen captures and going, isn't that what it looks like? Yeah. <laughs> and you look back and go, oh, no, it's not. No, oh, no, it doesn't. Um, I actually really like that Boletaria doesn't look like a complete pile of trash. It looks like the, the environment itself, like the structures are still destroyed and everything, but I like all of the like trappings and minutia of like, yeah, this was clearly the capital city city. Um, I think yeah. that's a really nice environmental addition. It's, so, it's yeah. It's the, so they, they ramped up like the architecture. Mm-hmm. Like there's more flourishes and more fancy bits to it, but they're able to sit there and like, crack the individual stones and pull weeds and roots through and just general signs of like destruction. Yeah. That that existed in the original one, but just weren't able to they weren't that high fidelity. So right. you have a sense of space with this I think will really sell it. I'm I'm actually really fascinated to see what kind of changes that they make. I can guarantee that the gendered armor thing is going to go away. Um, like that that's not going to be a thing in this this remake, I don't think. Um but yeah, I'm really interested to see what what changes and in, <sighs> see it's a it's a weird thing. Like do do you want movement and control improvements? In in deaths, like, yeah, yeah, yes, give me, yes, give me quality do. of life. Just <laughs> yes, no, no be- for direct role. Yeah, the the as long as you don't, there's not a lot of story, but don't touch that because that's yeah. the integral part of it. Um, but make it smooth, make it fun to play. Doesn't have to change like the core gameplay but it can change the interactions because if you're smoother then the enemies are smoother yeah exactly like if anything that just makes it harder yeah and, that's that's but, what but, I but in a in like a fair way where it's, it's the, the, that could theoretically like raise the difficulty curve but without you know the plateau would I think be the same mm-hmm yeah, I'm 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 very excited to hear more about that. Um, I really want to see more of Solar Ash because that game looks really, really good. Like stylistically looks really, really good, and um Hyperlight Drifter was legitimately fantastic, and I think it's a really great choice to uh shift from like directly from a 2D top-down twin stick pixel action game to um a 3D, so. Yeah, uh, I never, like, my brother, my little brother, actually, is, who was m- primarily playing uh, Ratchet and Clank. Mm-hmm. Um, but I enjoyed seeing, like, the gameplay, and then just the ridiculous amount of, they're having to do, like, preloading somewhere else, somewhere, like, yeah. in the background, because it's it's so seamlessly swapping between like areas and dimensions 
Um, I'm here for that. That that part looks really cool. I death loop because it's 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 stylish. Uh, I really like I really like that trailer. I I've liked both of those trailers. Um, I haven't seen. I haven't seen a Bethesda published game lean lean into that grindhouse aesthetic as hard since um, Wet, and that game was terrible. Uh, So I'm glad it's being used for something else. Hmm. Yeah, Um, uh, that I I think that one looks fun, but I can't. uh, Um. Reminded me of something else, but I am I cannot recall what it was. I think just another film. Ah, okay. That sounds that's sounds... uh, yeah, I was getting uh, a lot smoke, of smoking aces, maybe. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> um yeah, I was watching some reaction videos and I was getting a lot of um uh, Edge of Tomorrow people talking about Edge of Tomorrow. Yeah, that's that's not what... I I mean, yes, live, die, repeat, whatever, but um, the... the, There's an entire genre of assassins fighting each other. Yeah. In a semi, like, dark comedic way. (laughs) Yes, yes. So that, and then... um, what is it? It's like Kill Gunther. Or oh, killing, yeah. Killing Gunther. I think this would be yeah. a movie. Um, that, that genre is this, just with like a, a conceit of a time loop, which doesn't really matter. Like, that didn't have to be in there. That's just a way to say you die and start again. Listen, developers need to justify ways to say continue to say you died starting it, unless you're from Sock. Yeah. Um, and uh, Ghostwire Tokyo. I was not expecting that game to be first person, and it really reminds me of Machin X, an old Dreamcast game that I yeah liked a great deal. Yeah, I'm, I was familiar with Machin X just because it was a spinoff of um, all the Shin Megami Tensei. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah, same. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It was. Yeah. And I think there was also a, a manga for it, if I'm not really remembering incorrectly. I believe there was. Huh. I might look yeah, into it's, that. It's, it's, it's not a solo property. It, it was based off of, I think, an adaptation, or they did an adaptation off of the game. But either way, it had far more story to it huh that's interesting because i actually do remember kind of being intrigued by what was going on in mocking x once upon a time yeah i think i think there was a um an english published version but that was 20 years ago so i don't my, my, my memory is foggy Oh, that hurt. Yeah, it was, wasn't it? Oh, mm-hmm. boy. Mm. Good good times. Yeah, yeah that, that came out the same time as um, Guts Guts Rage. Oh, yeah, it sure did. Yep. I remember I remember seeing that. <laughs> that. We, we, we were renting out um, 
I don't know that we rented the systems, but when I worked at the video store, we did rent out the games. We had a small Dreamcast selection, and those were part of it, which eventually got me to track down a Dreamcast. Because I think Toys R Us was selling them for like $30. Yeah, that sounds about right. That sounds like... like, At the end of the life cycle. Yeah. So, but yeah, I'm. I was. I was pleasantly surprised by the number of games that I actually found interesting. Because normally these press conferences are like when Gran Turismo came up. I was like, well, it's Gran Turismo, so of course it's a it's a, it's a launch. It's a PlayStation console launch. So yes, of course there's going to be Gran Turismo. But I was really expecting um, more mainstream appealing games and i uh i uh don't think i really got that oh um kenya uh bridge of spirits i actually am really down with that game i i'm hoping that it's just a kind of light pikmin-esque game with some um reasonable combat depth so it's, I, it, yeah, it's super hard to tell. It definitely looks very dark for yes. how charming the um the little I don't know spirits for spirits yeah. are because like that's the Pikmin vibe, and then there's the, there seems to be a revitalizing nature aspect, which is just Okami, which I'm completely cool with, and mm. um like a like. Very CG, very close to Avatar The Last Airbender um, art style. And just that that whole intro monologue feels like the game, if it's like a full story, which it, it should be, um, is just going to fall into the like episodic anime, but as a video game. Um, Mm-hmm. And the Dang. the fact the fact that like the narrator is the villain, or at least ostensibly yeah. the villain, that was really good. Yes. So um, this this one reminded me specifically um of the the PS2 launch title, or at least it came out around launch, uh, Mark of Cree. Yes. So that, that that was the vibe that I got mostly from this because it's that sort of action-y platformer, but sitting in the it's kind of maybe a little bit spyro Mm -hmm. like that's how it comes off but we know again we're not seeing a whole lot of it right um but yeah i'm i'm actually i was actually kind of surprised uh uh, with how um legitimately interested i was in it uh, once again it's it's art direction is is really it's it's fairly simple and and is very familiar but it's executed really really well and everything looks pretty gorgeous so and i don't yeah. know what godfall is it feels like a schluter shlo- with melee weapons and i'm just like yeah I'll, I'll keep I, it's really I, difficult to tell because it also could be single player instead Right, I I don't. That's know. that's what it felt like it was doing. It doesn't feel like it's a battle arena. Like it, it it's that was the impression it was giving off, and then it sort of shifted 
and I know I've seen was it last, it may have been last year's E3 or the one before uh, where they were they're talking about this game and it was just um, it was a shorter trailer. Yeah. Yeah. So they? this, yeah. I'm pretty sure this is a single player game. All right. Well, or something with maybe asynchronous multiplayer. All right. If that's yeah. the case, I would at least try it. Yeah. Demo, demo or something. Because um, I don't want to get involved in another Schluter. Yeah. Economy I'm, again. I'm not really here for that. The uh, village, uh, Resident Evil Eight. Oh yeah. I yes. Uh, I I skipped seven. I just. I don't like spooky house in corridor mostly feeling mm. this. I like the aesthetic of it. Yeah. 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 I'm like, I'm like, yeah, when I saw the cabal of, listen, they're not witches because this is all biological virus nonsense, but we're just going to make them look like witches. I was actually super tapped. Yes, you, and they have the best put, hat. <laughs> I was about to say, you put an evil lady in a giant wide brim hat and I'm sold. Yeah, well, we were wondering where Carmen Sandiego went. She's here in the village. Yeah, right. Uh, and I really, I really hope they leave, like, because they didn't make it a secret that it's Ethan from Seven again in this one. And I really hope that they lean into Ethan isn't, it, Ethan hates having to do this. He hates all of this B.O.W. nonsense and hates having to be dragged back into it. Mm-hmm. I really want, I really want a, like, sulky, I want, like, a Silent Hill protagonist in a Resident Evil game. Yeah, I think that that works, and it works a little better if there's, it, it, it can be fuel for character development and progression. So, like, let them not want to be there, but then eventually be really good at what they do. Yep. So you can be, you can be, Begrudging about something, but still like be effective. Yeah, and that that can make you a little less whiny as you go. So you can start out being a you know a bit whiny, then end up just in a a, a headspace suited toward these like preventing these horrible atrocities. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I, I'm I'm here for even larger Chris. I, I I know that they're not going to explain it, but Chris looks so radically different um in this that uh from from the last time that he appeared in a mainline Resident Evil game that I'm just like, are you gonna address that? Because like these 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 two people are clearly not the same person like they don't even have the same bone structure in their face are you going to address this at all i sure hope you do and i sure hope that it's dumb because i need resident evil to be dumb yeah and it's so it's a little it looks like he's more of a 
I because I've been playing um, six extensively, and mm-hmm. <laughs> this feels like tangent six, Chris. Yeah, yeah. Like if you just he ate some more foods and he's a few years older, and he's still sad about pears. Look, you got to be sad about your boy. But yeah, I, I and we only see him like so briefly, so yeah, that'll that could be oh, some of that could be he's being like underlit and kind of backlit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we see him just long enough to watch him do a hard murder. Uh, yeah, with no with no context, so <laughs> yeah, with no context. Yeah, um, so apparently, like, uh, Village had been leaked all over the place way before the conference, uh, and I had apparently missed it. So I was actually um, surprised, and it did trick me into thinking that it might have been Bloodborne 2 for just a second. Mm. Yeah, there is one fuzzy boy. Yep. Yes, there is. There is. I'm sure there will be many Father Gascoigne's in 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 this one i also like i also kind of really like the idea of we're going to use these bioweapons to like create these um uh fictional monsters from history um i think that that's an interesting direction to take uh resident evil like oh yeah this place is less developed, so we'll use the bioweapons to, like, create their regional monsters and keep them in line. I'm like, oh, that's actually... That's actually really good. I, <laughs> or that's just a particular hobby of whatever scientist is in charge of this one. Yep. There, oh, yeah, there is also a part of me that desperately, desperately wishes that the plot of this game is that some stupid organization is trying to resurrect Wesker. I want that to be the entire plot. I want people to be so upset that it's, oh, it's just so they could bring Wesker back. All right. And then it's just a fuzzy boy with sunglasses. Oh, jeez. Yep. That, that would then, be horrible, actually, but... <laughs> <laughs> still okay. Not, still not bad. Nope. All right. You ready, Dave? Yes, because that was the news section. That was the news section. Yeah, we had to. Hey, we gotta fill. We gotta fill time somehow. Right. That has been our. That has been our. Our. Our coverage of the. Uh, PS5 uh, release conference. Um, I I actually like the way that the console looks uh, because it looks like something instead of a monolithic box. Yes, yes. I don't. I don't really I mind. Look- it's also a lot bigger than it than you think it's going to be. Yeah, exactly. When you're looking at the controller size, which probably has not changed versus the size of the thing, it's it's the same size or bigger, I believe, when they were people were scaling it to the um the Xbox Series <laughs> X or whatever the heck it's called. You got it. You got it in one, Dave. It is in fact the Xbox Series X because 
because they couldn't come Microsoft up with something even better. Trying, trying anymore <laughs> is the question. Well, they don't. They know we just give everything a name anyway. Yep. Never. I mean, they, not, that, that's really you're just calling it the XSX. Yep. I they they will never they will never recapture the magic of the 360. It was the it was the perfect. Hey, I'm on 360. Oh, hey, know what that that is? I've got my hamburger controller. Oh man, the uh, what was it? There, I forget what the development name for that one was. I think it was I, like yeah, I don't even know. <laughs> I just know it was uncomfortable. Yeah, there, there's like it's like a development, uh, it's a development name for the controller, the Duke. Yes, it was oh, called yeah. the, it was called the Duke. The Duke's back on the menu, boys. Video games are dumb. They're great. <laughs> but yes, so. The wonderful world of Leonard's News Corner has returned. Who knows? Who knows when it'll be back again? <laughs> it's, yeah, it's always a mystery. When there's when there's news, uh, when there's interesting news to be discussed, Leonard's News Corner will uh, it, it the, my my sad cart will drive into the sounds town square, and I will set up shot and yell at people for approximately. Uh, uh, 26 minutes. <laughs> or g- give or take. Yeah, exactly. Um, but, but yes, yes. Annapur- Annapurna's, uh, sorry, just one last thing. Annapurna's uh, knocking it out of the park with the interesting looking uh, indie games. I think they're giving uh, 505 and uh, Devolver a run for their money in that publishing front. A little less 505 because now they're graduating to like big titles like the Death Stranding PC for port and uh, oh yeah and Control which is also getting a PS5 port so well they got they got to make use of that ray tracing I you know what I, I, I as much as I love Control I'm play I played that game on an old G PS4 and man did it chug. But that game is so good that it wasn't that much of a problem for me. So <laughs> I will actually probably buy Control again on PS5 just to play it, like, fluidly. You should play Control if you haven't, listeners. It's a, it's a good game, and it is it is um, totally in the monster deer monster wheelhouse of, of <laughs> content. Yeah, we'll have to dig into that one a little bit at some point. Um, I think I need to actually finish it, but I, I did enjoy the parts that I had played probably about halfway through the game. <clears throat> yep, um, and I really like the first piece of DLC. I think it's really good. Uh, it's a good expansion on uh, the world building. So very much looking forward to the next piece of DLC later this year, hopefully. We'll see. Everything keeps getting pushed back a little bit. Uh, I guess the other bit of non-gaming news, uh, the 
launch, not launch, premiere, the premiere date for um, Godzilla vs. King Kong is now oh, next year. Yeah. I think March, something around there. Yes, let well, <laughs> let us let us see what state the world is in March yeah. of twenty twenty one. Perhaps we 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 may be in a position where we wish that Godzilla and King Kong. Are yeah, real. we'll <laughs> we'll see because it's a lot. We got a lot going on. Um. And and the the Sword Brothers game actually looked really good. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. They do um, they do really good with their uh, their music mm-hmm. being integrated into gameplay. Yes, I think that wraps up the news corner. So we are, in fact, deep into the midst of a another fresh Monster Dear Monster episode. It's here, yes. folks. It was a surprise. Surprise! Even though you've been listening to it for 30 minutes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yes. But we had to, we had to kind of prime the pump, I guess, uh, to talk about something a little less depressing before we get down to the good stuff. Um, we are continuing with another Thomas Legati episode, so more Songs of a Dead Dreamer and Grim Scribe. We're actually getting fairly close to the end of this anthology, so it's a little, it's a little bittersweet, but there's an episode or two more to go. We are continuing on inside of Grim Scribe with the Voice of the Demon segment. And uh, lest I be remiss, I am one of your hosts, Dave, and I'm joined today by Leonard. And you've been hearing us talk for 30 minutes, but but that's us. That's right. You 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 stumbled upon a, a conversation between two people and you weren't sure that, that was it this left in deliberately? Are they talking? Do they know that it's here in this episode? Yes, we are aware. We had to we had to juice this episode, as Dave said, uh, because once again, we're talking about Thomas Ligotti, and he makes you feel bad or feel nothing at all. Yes, we'll see. <laughs> we'll see how this one goes. Uh, we, we've there are as. As is his usual, there are multiple tales. Uh, four, in fact, uh, within this particular segment, we are we picked the first two, uh, which may or may not have been a mistake. We will find out. So the voice of the demon kicks off with a tale entitled "The Dreaming in Norton," and of the two we covered, I I actually quite enjoyed this one. It um. It's it's no Nethiscurial because that was just that just knocked it out of the park. Uh but I don't think that this is it's not missing really anything and it draws a little bit on uh the color out of space. Yes. Yes it does. 
So it's a little adjacent to a previous episode, which wasn't Lagati-centric, but it's in the same horrendous wheelhouse. Um, yeah. A lot of a lot of thematic overlaps and and um, uh, and an interesting subversion. Um, I uh, 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 interesting narrative subversion at the end that I I think um, works because it draws so heavily uh, uh, on the the color out of space. It, that, it does, that I didn't see it coming. No, uh, this this one threw me for a loop too but what i enjoyed and we, we've talked about this multiple times um over these episodes is that Lagati has a very specific way with um changing up uh his narrator conventions yes and he's he's by golly he's done it again here you got me you got me Lagati. <laughs> yeah so we'll we'll get to that when we get to it um this story is about two two young is arguable. They're two gentlemen in their um postgraduate studies. Uh one is an anthropologist, the other we don't know. Um they are roommates uh at a university and they are in this is I think my favorite thing, is they're in Norton and it's a suburb of some city but all names have been changed to protect the innocent or or some such thing um and the 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 non-anthropology student is he's involved in some shady business mm-hmm he uh uh the the uh his name is his name, uh, making big air quote hand signs over here, uh, which is great for the medium of, of audio, I must say, uh, is, is one Jack Quinn, uh, obviously an alias, uh, because that is a, a fake, a fakey fake name, uh, who, who appears to be so, uh, I I like to touch on the point that I uh, one of the things that I I that struck me about the story immediately, which is uh, Jack Quinn is essentially a Lovecraft protagonist who gets involved with something and is like um, has has the bad time, but the narrator uh, who is unnamed um is essentially the like periphery character in in one of those Lovecraft stories where the protagonist tells them like kind of gives them like glimpses of what they're experiencing but it's since the narrator is recounting the story it is told from their perspective so it's it's second hand yes this is the feeling of say like the case of uh, Charles Dexter Ward or anything where someone's reading yes. a memoir, a memoir, yes. memoir. Uh, and this is the detective or the police officer that's like studying the case, but after like in the aftermath. So they're not mm -hmm. directly involved with anything generally, but they're still, they're party to the after effect of what went down. Right. 
is the feeling and, that this gets, but that's that's not what happens. <laughs> right, right. And and also one of the things about uh, Lovecraft that I appreciate the most, which is uh, the act of investigating the bizarre occurrence uh, pulls you into the events of the bizarre occurrence. That is uh, typically the way that Lovecraft works. So um, I like that because these are all kind of Lovecraft tropes that if you've ingested as much uh, uh, Lovecraft or Lovecraft adjacent media as uh, Dave and I have uh, primed you for, uh, sets up some expectations that may or may not uh, turn out the way that you expect. Yeah, so he, our our narrator, um, keeps basically getting his sleep interrupted uh, by by Quinn. Yes. Just comes home at all hours of the night. Um and he's generally he's he has his uh penchant for for wearing a, a ratty overcoat and smoking stogies and has like disheveled red hair. I, I did like that point was that this yes. this guy is um it rem- uh maybe a uh a credence Clearwater Revival, like CCR protagonist. <laughs> like, uh-huh. like, that's the feeling I got from this guy. Um, um, given uh, given the uh, uh, our last episode of Monster Dear Monster, when he spoke of a ratty overcoat and uh, cigar smoking, I just replaced yeah. Quinn with Flip. <laughs> Oh, Flip got into some bad stuff, man. <laughs> you know what? All things considered, you could uh, you could you could transplant that character and their personality to the story, and it probably play out relatively similar. Yeah. So he's he keeps getting interrupted, and um, eventually Quinn starts having like very vocal nightmares or night terrors yes. and it and it goes over the, the the span of some days. But the the fervent nature of these dreams um ends up being semi contagious and our, our narrator starts sleeping uneasily as well. Um he doesn't know if that's attributed to like the things that Quinn's getting up to. Uh, or if it's just a, a side effect of hearing someone else being s- screaming bloody murder um, at all hours of the night when they're yeah asleep, yeah, not not really conducive. Uh, as <laughs> as somebody who has been awakened uh, by by a partner having a vocal nightmare, I can tell you that <laughs> having somebody scream in the middle or cry out in the middle of the night while unconscious makes it very hard to get back to sleep. Yeah. And he's, um, he's aware that when Quinn returns at night, um, and, and part of this is because Quinn returns at night and goes into the narrator's room and sits on the edge of his bed. Yeah. And bug- bugs him. While, while like the lights are out it's 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 a little uh, unnerving in the best of times and that's definitely not the best of times to be woken in the middle of the night uh with someone just like saying 
hey, I'm home, <laughs> basically. Yeah. Um, but in, in one, the, the particular moment when, uh, Quinn is actually like screaming out, um, here, here's an excerpt because we like to read some excerpts. Uh, and sometimes he would violate the calm darkness of the night with a series of staccato groans, followed by a brief vocal siren that made me bolt up suddenly in my bed. This alarming sound surely carried the entire audible spectrum of nightmare-inspired terror, but there was also mingling overtones of awe and ecstasy, a willing submission to some unknown ordeal. Have you finally died and gone to hell? I shouted one night through his bedroom door. The sound was still ringing in my ears. I just really enjoyed that that sort of feeling. Um, they they also uh, I say they now they got to also take the time to to remark on Quinn's like disgusting coat, but he phrases it as it's full. I, I believe he says it's like stuffed with the passings of so many Octobers or something like that. It's it's a really yes. good bit. Yes, and and also uses uses that to uh, frame the time period in which this story takes place, because this story does, in fact, take place during October. Yes, some some weeks into October, so yes. late October, or at least through October. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And um, yeah, Quinn's having having. Having a bad time, and as you mentioned, uh, his his nightmares uh, start uh, uh, bleeding over into our narrator, uh, who has uh, uh, visions of um, garishly vibrant colors. Let's see. I will actually just read the section myself. The dream took place in a small public library in Nortown, where I sometimes retreated to study. Uh, on the, ooh, on Orient Plain, however, I was not a studious patron of the library, but one of the librarians. The only one. It seemed keeping vigil in that desolate institution. I was just sitting there, complacently surveying the shelves of books and laboring under the illusion that in my idleness I was performing some routine but very important function. The d this did not continue very long. Nothing does in dreams, though the situation was one that already seemed interminable. Uh, in which he uh, then, our narrator, then uh, finds a call slip asking for a very specific book in the library, uh, which he, uh, there's something to be said about the, uh, about um, doing something monotonous in dreams. I, uh, I, I can recall a few occasions where I have be, been forced to perform, uh, perform, forced and perform in context of a dream, um, some monotonous task. And it, re it, because of the weird time dilation when you're unconscious it it is awful having to do something that you find uh mind numbing in a dream uh but he uh what is there's the section where he talks about um 
the book that he is meant to find. Well, the 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 book was less important than where he where he retrieved it from. There we go. It it's it's his their their apartment, right? Isn't that the the overarching concept of the the book is a representation of of their their um current housing? I feel uh, like that was mentioned somewhere. I no, I don't I don't think so, but I do have the the passages pulled up. All right. So like the so he he's trying to read the call numbers in the clip, but of course it's a dream, so words don't translate um anymore. Uh like these symbols, the book I found is now hopelessly unmemorable, its shape, color, and dimensions having perished on the journey back from my dream. I may have even dropped it, but that was not important. What was important, however, was the dark little slot created when I withdrew the volume from its rank on the shelf. I peered in, somehow knowing I was supposed to be doing or supposed to do this as part of the book retrieving ritual. I gazed deeper, and the next phase of the dream began. The slot was a window, perhaps more of a crack in some dream wall, or a slit in the billowing membrane that protects one world against the intrusion of another. Beyond was something of a landscape, for lack of a more suitable term, which I viewed through a narrow rectangular frame. But this landscape had no earth and sky that hinged together in a neat line at the horizon, no floating or shining objects above to echo and balance their earthbound countershapes below. This landscape was an infinite expanse of depth and distance, a never-ending morass, deprived of all coherence, a state of strange existence rather than a chartable locus, having no more geographical extension than a mirage or a rainbow. Uh, and then he, he, he witnesses some things there. Uh, continuing on this bit, the only way I can describe the visions I had witnessed with even faint approximation is in terms of other scenes which might arouse similar impressions of torturous chaos. Perhaps a festival of colors twisting in blackness, a tentacled abyss that alternately seems to glisten moistly as with some horrendous dew, then suddenly dulls into an arid glow like bone-colored stars shining over in an extraterrestrial desert. The vista of eerie disorder that I observed was further abetted in its strangeness by my own feelings about it. They were magnified dream feelings, this encyclopedic emotion, these encyclopedic emotions which involved complexities of intuition, sensation, and knowledge impossible to express. My dream emotion was indeed a monstrous encyclopedia, one that described a universe kept under infinite wraps of deception, a dimension of disguise. Yeah, there's no way to, like, otherwise summarize the information that that's giving. <laughs> yeah. So we, we just give a little quote. Oh, and I did actually discover the section. Uh, it is utterly meaningless uh, uh essentially meaningless to the plot but the uh the narrator was attempting to recall the title of the book and he knew that it uh 
uh, involved uh, the city and 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 their apartment. Uh, oh yes, yes. But was ultimate is ultimately unimportant. Yeah, the book the book didn't matter. It was what it was. Well, it matters in as much as it is a stopper to another thing where where that's how their town is also framed their apartment their their situation uh, is we've covered this a little bit before it's sort of a mask over something yes. else or at the very least it's a plug um right one that has been uh slightly uh popped open all of that all of that nightmare carbonation is is fizzling it's, yep, it's, it's fizzing up it's bubbling over. Nightmare carbonate. Oh man, nightmare carbonation sounds like 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 a a creepy crawler's like food set. It also sounds that like a good episode title. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Nightmare carb. Yep. All right. Well, <laughs> thanks everyone for joining us for our ep- new another episode of Monster Dear Monster. The show ends when we come up with the episode title. Oh yeah, that's how it works. Uh, uh, and so, uh, um, our narrator uh, sets upon um, following Quinn one night during one of his excursions. Correct? Yes. Uh, so, what well, he finds the die. He finds yes, Quinn's diary. So the the whole story is it wraps in on itself a little bit. The time, the timing of things are a little nebulous. Um, mm-hmm. We get the October setting. The narrator has understood that Quinn's been at, been about um, in dalliances with a. Will say that it's it's a book club. <laughs> if you yeah, uh, there it's a it's a, a bunch of academics probably um, that are involved in the occult. Uh, but what they're doing is frat boy occulting. Yeah, yeah. They're they're basically daring one another to to do specific um, rituals that are dangerous and getting props for doing the most dangerous thing. <laughs> yep. So they're just, like, they're just flirting with the occult, um, understanding that it's real, that yeah. the magic or whatever it is works, and then they're just literally playing with it. Right. For, for yeah, for a giggle. Yeah, that um, that seems that seems like a thing that would actually happen if 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 this was real. That there'd be yeah, given. Uh, man, could you imagine all of the uh, the occult TikToks? <laughs> yeah, I mean, cause that's what this feels like. Is they're they're doing stuff to egg one another on, uh, just for clout. Right, just and, to say that they and, did it, yeah. and, and yeah. that very—that's that's part way. of 
what Quinn is doing. Um, a lot of these rituals do involve um, sp specific mind-altering substances. It doesn't get into what those are, but you can one can well imagine. Yes. Uh, and so part of why the um, the narrator is perturbed by, by Quinn's late coming and goings is, is the man returns to the apartment and he's either he's drunk or stoned or all of the above or, or just on a general end of a trip. Mm -hmm. And that is what is sort of prompting more of his um, concern is what we're yeah. kind of given. So yes. uh, Quinn is, I think he's out. Um, and the, the, the narrator takes that time to, to kind of go into Quinn's room and he didn't have to look far because almost immediately there's like a little diary. Yep. Um, it's a diary that's written in second person, which was really interesting. Um, that you don't see that often at all, really. Uh, and it's, it's Quinn, um, well, writing to himself. He's written it's sort of a dream journal or a mm -hmm. mystic quest one. And I, of course we've pulled this. The following then exemplifies the manner of his notes to himself. So far, your progress has been faulty but inexorable. Last night, you saw the zone, and now know what it's like. Wobbling glitter, a field of venomous colors, the glistening inner skin of deadliest nightshade. Now that you're actually nearing the plane of the zone, awake. Forget your dainty fantasies and learn to move like the eyeless beast you must become. Listen. Feel. Smell for the zone. Dream your way through its marvelous perils. You know what the things from there may do to you with their dreaming. Be aware. Do not stay in one place for very long in these next few nights. This will be the strongest time. Get out. Perhaps into the great nightlight of Norton. Wander, tramp, tread, somnambulate if you must. Stop and watch, but not for very long. Be mindlessly cautious. Catch the entrance. Uh, catch the entrancing fragrance of fear and prevail. And this, there's a continuing aside by the, the narrator, which is kind of important. Mm -hmm. I read this brief passage over and over, and each time its substance seemed to become less the fantasies of an overly imaginative sectarian, and more a strange reflection on matters by now familiar to me. Thus, I seemed to be serving my purpose, for the sensitivity of my psyche had allowed a subtle link to Quinn's spiritual pursuits, even in their nuances of mood. And judging from the last entry in Quinn's notebook, the upcoming days were crucial in some way, the exact significance of which may have been entirely psychological. Nevertheless, other possibilities and hopes had crossed my mind. So, this is is they they take takes the time to describe Norton and it um it doesn't matter <laughs> yes uh, aside from understanding that it's um it's sort of a conclave of oddities it's the weirdest little uh college town you could hope to find 
or maybe the best. I don't know. Depends on what you're looking for, I guess. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it, it, well, you know, it actually just kind of sounds like a college town. Like narrator explains that the reason that they live there is because it is, uh, in, in close vicinity to the university. Um, and that it, it, it sounds exactly like the kind of place that a bunch of college students would congregate in and has the feeling of kind of like, Hmm. A very bohemian. Yeah, that's what I was saying. It's bohemian, kind of esoteric. Like there's yes, uh, the the undergrads and the the, the grad students here, uh, they've maybe as graduates, like somehow they they formed like this town is tailored to that demographic. Mm-hmm. Exactly. It's um, full of uh, exotic little shops. Um, yes. Uh, a- antique places, um, but also bars. Restaurants. Theaters. So it's, it's a college town. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just a regular college town that happens to have um, strange things in it. There was uh, – it, it's it's just a little minor detail, but I, I really kind of appreciate uh, its, its use in this, which is that um, Quinn's notebook – is a um is a is a spiral notebook with like a very cheap um marble faux marble cover I on have it. So many of those books. Yep, I was just like, <laughs> all right, well, you have you have set it as this tale as contemporary because I know exactly what kind of notebook that you're talking about. Granted, this is contemporary for like the mid to late 80s but yeah considering when this was written but i still think that it's 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 a nice clever way of of yeah this is when this this isn't like the 1800s this is now so i i enjoyed that little detail yeah uh, i said earlier that the um other academics the the followers of whatever quinn is doing um, for students, that's probably not the case. It does say specifically here that the area seemed a spawning ground for marginal people and movements. Uh, and the narrator makes an aside saying that he believes that uh, Quinn's fellow sectarians, uh, whoever they may have been, were either residents or habitu- habitues of the suburb. Uh, and then this part is interesting and, and sort of, well... It's it's a Legati story, so it's very Legatian. Um, yeah. If one looks up while walking down certain streets, there's a chance of spying second-floor windows with odd symbols pasted upon them, cryptic badges whose significance is only known to the initiated. And then he goes on to say that the, basically this, this, these particular streets and some portions of Norton are things that uh, resemble or invoke um, the dreams he's been having. Which may or may not be, um, or I would say are directly tied to Quinn's nightly, um, ramblings about town and that being what's informing his dream state, which is now leaking over to the narrator. Yes. And, uh, this entire section is, is just the narrator, uh, trailing 
Quinn during one of these nightly excursions. Um, yes, so he's he's going to follow Quinn, and here's probably maybe it's the most poignant phrase. All the same, I was not wrong to believe I was merely conforming to Quinn's unspoken wish for a spectator to his doom, a chronicler of his demonic quest, and everything proceeded smoothly as we arrived in the more heavily trafficked area of Norton, approaching Carton, the suburb's main street. Yes. Um, we didn't mention it, but uh, the the narrator begins uh, his, his, this, uh, recounting of events uh, by talking about people who uh, uh, seemingly do not wish for help uh, out of a rough situation, but in fact, simply wish for somebody to chronicle their inevitable downfall, the, the audience to their doom. Yes, and he figured while well, he's out here uh, looking after his friend, so it might as well be him. Right, and, I, and then I, and then this 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 goes on for many pages of him. Yes, literally following him. <laughs> yes, it's it's yeah. It has uh, it has kind of a uh, this this entire section is just him him tailing Quinn, and it has like a kind of documentary uh, feel because it really talks about the the area of this area of Norton more than it really talks about. Uh, Quinn, um, it's nice. It's a nice little bit of, bit of, of world building um, for for the story, which has really just surrounded these two characters. But ultimately, it's it it is a means for the narrator to exp, uh, explain that Quinn uh, Quinn and himself uh, in. Uh, experience some unsettling events uh all all directly tied ironically enough to color yes and irony may be the wrong <laughs> the wrong term phrase but yes they are all all tied to color all incidences that leave um queen himself perturbed and shaken uh, and the narrator getting a a a secondary like backlash of that yeah so yeah. by just by proximity or by virtue of him being like psychically connected in a some small way uh he's he's catching um these vestiges of terror that uh, that continually send Quinn uh further on his his ramble through the town yes um, which I eventually it, becomes a drunken ramble, um, which I, I enjoy that change because the narrator takes very good care to point out that he was he was of the the firm belief that Quinn was going to try to do this um, this quest uh, with a completely clear as clear ahead as possible, um, save for the uh, egregious nicotine consumption. Uh, but does end up getting like plastered drunk and yeah. stump stumbling around town, which is probably the turning point and was maybe uh Quinn's mistake there. Right. 
Although, uh, given given the type of story, the mistake was becoming involved in this in the first place. Oh yeah, <laughs> for sure. But this, if you're going to be doing daredevil tree, um, doing it drunk was. It's yes, the, it's the old uh, at this point cliched standby of you know hold my beer, right? Um, I also uh, uh, as as. Uh, I also enjoyed this section because of how it ties into the note uh, in in Quinn's uh, dream journal, which uh, basically tells him to not stay in one place too long. So this this meandering trip around uh, around town feels like uh, Quinn adhering to that advice. Because he never stays in too, in one place too long and is quickly frightened off by anything uh, color related. Yes, for very specific reasons, and we also find out that uh, yes, the side effect of getting uh, this drunk is that you may fall asleep somewhere. Right, and uh, this somewhere is is a theater, right, Dave? <laughs> Yes, uh, but slightly before that, they actually the first instance of the the colorful fright. Um, yes, I, I will just read that bit because it's it's out of place slightly. Mm-hmm. Uh, a little later on, not long before Quinn's and my exit, uh, there at a bar here, a girl with a guitar wandered up onto a platform against one wall of the room, and she made herself comfortable in a chair on the platform and tuned her instrument. Someone switched on a single spotlight on the floor. I noticed that attached to the front of the spotlight was a movable disc divided into four sections, red, blue, green, and transparent. It was now adjusted to shine only through the transparent section. The entertainer gave herself no introduction and started singing a song after lethargically strumming her guitar for a moment or so. I did not recognize the piece, but I think any song would have sounded unfamiliar as rendered by this performer, whose voice compared in my imagination to that of a feeble-minded siren locked away somewhere and wailing pitifully to be set free. That the song was intended as mournful I could not doubt. It was, however, a very foreign and disorienting kind of mournfulness, as if the singer had eavesdropped on some exotic and grotesque rituals for her inspiration. So, I I liked that part, and basically someone in the crowd decides to spin the wheel, and uh, the, the wheel of lights just dashes the whole place into a multitude of colors, which, of course, sends Quinn into a fit and fleeing, but it also um, disquiets the narrator. <coughs> Which leads them on their further chase, and they eventually, Quinn, start drinking, and they make it to the theater. Yes, a movie theater. Which, um, given everything that had, uh, that had transpired, suddenly made, uh, gave me, uh, what, Night of the Demons flashbacks? Uh, Demons, yes. I, I Demons. Immediately as well. <laughs> <laughs> Um, see, it all it all collapses in on itself, folks. It's where we we uh, it, peek behind the peek behind the curtain. All, all of the all of the horror stems from the same same place. It's just variation. It's all Agati's fault. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, yes, it's all Legati's fault, and From Software stole everything from my childhood to make the Soul series. That that yep. that will be the takeaway from from Monster Dear Monster as a whole. <laughs> once when, it, when you find when you happen upon Leonard's dream journal, those will be the entries. Yep. I certainly hope not. I would certainly hope that I dream more interesting things than that. But I don't know because I don't remember my dream. Almost exclusively never remember my dream. Perhaps for good reason. Yes. So, uh, yeah, actually, so before they made it to the theater, there was a a, a small car accident that um, the narrator witnesses. A policeman is questioning the accident causer. There's a name for that, but I've forgotten it. And it, it seems that the car swerved and smashed into a, um, I think it's a pole. Yeah, it's, it's a sign yeah. pole. And uh, it was due to a something brightly colored that had suddenly appeared in his headlights, causing him to swerve. And whatever it was had subsequently vanished. So more more colors involved. However, this is uh, something involving people outside of Quinn and the narrator. So something's going on. Right. That's something. Uh, once again, they, they hint at it. Uh, in in Quinn's journal, because there is mention, um, there is they they pre- they dis- they distinctly present the idea that um, the dreams that Quinn uh, is is having um, are less uh, flights of fancy and more a projection of himself into another plane. And the implication is that the, the beings that inhabit, inhabit that plane can uh, essentially do the same thing uh, to our universe because our universe is, is a dream to them. So it seems like somebody or something is, is after Quinn and, and stalking the streets for him. At least that's, that's was my interpretation up until this point. The, um, what this feels like. So if you mash together color out of space and, um, from beyond. Yes. You get this. Yep. So there's there's other dimensions of things that are always existing and always around us, but you can't see them, and it's not a problem until they notice that you can see them, and that's I think what happened here because of these uh, jokingly, they're not really joking. They're just playing around with the occult when they shouldn't be, and right. uh, it it their their game of chicken with these dream entities uh is is gone poorly agreed that is that is exactly what i what the page i was on at this point but but uh this this story is 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 slowly drawing to its end and so we must must 
learn the fate one Jack Quinn. It's a terrible, terrible fate. (laughs) Um, We have the um, wrong button. Well, I guess prior to his fate. uh, So, Quinn falls asleep in the theater. Yes. The narrator also falls asleep in the theater because he's, Quinn's just been there so long and he's telling him and it's late and they just both pass out separately. Um, and when he wakes up, Quinn's gone. And there's a ruckus and a multicolored something uh, in the in elsewhere in the theater that he can kind of glimpse. And he hears Quinn screaming or something screaming and goes to investigate. Uh, Let's see. And in his tracking, um, he he's following after the thing. So what repelled me appeared as a rainbow in which all natural color had been mutated into a painfully lush iridescence by some prism fantastically corrupted in its form. It was in an aurora, painting the darkness with a shimmering blaze that did not belong to this world, and, in actuality, it was nothing like these figurative effusions, which are merely a feeble means of partially fixing a reality incommunicable to those not initiated to it, a necessary resorting to the makeshift gibberish of the mystic isolated by its experience and left without a language to describe it. Uh, the screaming stops. He steps into the passageway where Quinn had entered. Uh, nothing is there. However, there is a burnt-out patch of a blasted heath, <laughs> yeah. as we may mm-hmm. refer to it. Um, and it's a shapeless bare spot that was deprived of the weeds and litter uh, that had surrounded the area. And it may or may not have been in the shape of one Quinn. And... Funnily enough, next to the spot, he he espies a carton of two fresh cigars, and Quinn is a habitual cigar smoker. Yes, and had just uh, purchased a, a a new carton at the beginning of the night's adventure. Yes, and Quinn doesn't come back to the apartment. Uh, the police eventually question the. Or he had, I think he had to report him missing. Uh, and, and to to keep any sort of shenanigans from falling on his own head, the narrator does, in fact, burn the Quinn's journal, or he destroys it in some manner. And that was the one link um, to his disappearance. So with that gone, the police, the trail goes cold, and he's, he's left to um, his own creepy solitude. Yeah, which doesn't last long because he goes and 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 finds a, another roommate. Yeah, he does. But before then, he he continues to have um, nightmares. Yes. Um. Yes. While the figure, ah, let me. Yes, go ahead. Just read. While the figure in my dreams bore no resemblance to the missing person named Jack Quinn or to any person at all, I knew it was him. His shape kept changing, or rather, 
was being changed by those kaleidoscopic beasts. Playing out a scene from some of Bakken, uh, Bakken hell, the tormenting demons encircled their victims and were dreaming him. They carried him through a hideous series of transfigurations, maliciously altering the screaming mass of the damned soul. They were dreaming things out of him and dreaming things into him. Finally, the purpose of their transformations became apparent. They were torturing their victim through a number of stages, which would ultimately result in his becoming one of them, fulfilling his most fearful and obsessive vision. Fulfilling his most fearful and obsessive vision. Yep. That's you're bad. Gonna, bad you're going to wrap up that uh Oh, do, that statement. Do, do, oh. <laughs> oh, yes. At some point, I did cease to discern the entity I had known as Quinn and noticed only that there were now one more glittering beast that looked that took its place with the others and frolicked amongst them. Frolicking is bad, folks. Bad end. This yes. is this is this is a monster, dear monster, certified bad end. And the twist. Yes. Dave, you go on. Give us that twist. Oh yes. Oh yes. Such was the end of the dreams I had had before leaving the apartment. There have been no others since, at least none that I have troubled in my own sleep. I cannot say the same for that of my new roommate, who rages in his slumber night after night in the shabby and quite reasonably priced little place where we reside. Once or twice he has attempted to communicate to me his strange visions and the company into which they have led him, but I affect only the slightest interest in his adventures. And the good bit. For as a student of anthropology, one of the few of my kind, I must keep a certain distance from my subjects. They are of a rare type, and outright intimacy tends to impact their behavior in ways that could spoil my study of them. In any case, companionship is not what these adventures in an alternative existence seek. What they desire, like Jack Quinn, are witnesses to their downfall, as they plummet into an abyss of nightmares. What they want are chronicles of their explorations in a hell of their own choosing, and in these roles I am more than willing to accommodate them, for their desires and mine are complementary. Yep, so, surprise! <laughs> yes, he was He was studying, basically creating like an ethnography, ethnography of these students sucked into the occult. Um, it, it, and you know, this, this is, this is in keeping with something that Lagati has done in, in his previous stories where there is the, um, there is our, our, our human victim, uh, the, um, uh, Eldridge events surrounding them and their inevitable downfall. And then an entity that, appears to be another uh, entity that appears to be human, but is a different uh, Eldridge, seemingly Eldridge entity that is set as an observer. Um, 
it's it's a really good twist that 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 our narrator is specifically specifically uh searches and studies people who um essentially uh fly too close to the sun that's yeah, it's a really good conceit that's something that um Nethiscurial was kind of toying with mm-hmm. uh, but I think this one really just drove it home um, yeah yeah I enjoyed this uh, and there was there were no there were no clowns so it's a bonus right um I I uh, because you know it, all of the, the it's it's all there uh on the page uh but because we're applying the incorrect context to it um, the ending, of course, is is a wonderful surprise when you realize that um, you, in fact, were not on the same page as the narrator at all. Yeah, this is the most reliable, unreliable narrator. Yeah. Or yes. the most unreliable, reliable narrator. Yes, because, once again... He, he, he tells you what's happening, like, in the beginning. <laughs> right. And, and he then... is not... Then just hammers it home at the end in case you somehow missed it. Right. He and and yes, it is it is not the narrator being dishonest. The narrator is not obfuscating any information. It is the he has presented the they have presented the information uh honestly, and it is the uh reader's uh misunderstanding of that information that that creates the dissonance with the ending it's a good one i'm i'm i really liked really liked this story a great deal yeah and i you know i think we're uh we'll call this episode here the the next tale mystics of muhlenberg it is <laughs> it is very short in its premise Yes, um, we can literally probably sum it up in, in like a sentence or two, and I, I don't want to do that uh, for fear that the the preceding three story or two, yes, two stories after that are also going to do the same thing. Um, so we will tack it on and, and wrap up um, this particular segment on the next uh, Legati episode. So we will just finish the voice of the demon um, in one fell swoop next time. All right. That's, that is now the new plan. New plan better because than we the have old plan. <laughs> better than the old plan because we plan all these in advance, but not really. But yes. kind of, we sort, kind sort of, of yes. do. I mean, it's, it's a and, themed thing. It's a plan to go through all of this. Just the, the the length of time is always up to up for debate. Um, That's yeah, a that, good that, analogy for life, yes. Dave. <laughs> <laughs> it is uh, that this puts us at about eighty three percent finished with all of the anthology. So I think the the ending is drawing closer. Uh, I'm loath to leave leave this world behind of the Legativerse. Uh, we'll see what we can do to maybe prolong a bit of it here or there. There, uh, there are in fact three hundred something pages worth of the 
his his book on on theory. So maybe <laughs> we'll take a look at um that again. I'll see. We'll search some other adaptations because there have been a few adaptations of of Ligotti. Uh, yes, we'll let you know when that pops up. We've got a yes. week or two uh, to figure that out. But yes, I think that will be us kind of wrapping this one up here. Uh, Leonard, where can folks find you on the interwebs? Well, hold on, Dave. Right before we get no. to the to the housekeeping. Um, I do believe that that we do have a a prospective uh uh topic for the next episode of Monster Dear Monster, and would you care to tell the audience what that is? Yes, and as a matter of fact, uh, we do. It's it's a, a twofold announcement. So next week, when Cameron returns from. To beyond from the stars <laughs> because he's out there doing battle in the name of the emperor uh we will be covering the never-ending story which everyone loves and it's the happiest film in existence hey listen i love the never-ending story oh i love it too but it's it's it's, it's uh <laughs> it's thematically appropriate I don't know what everybody talks about when they talk about how dark that movie is. It's a fun, happy time. I smile ear to ear from start to finish. That, then that's pretty impressive. Um, <laughs> <laughs> if you can manage that the entire time. And it's, it's not a short film uh, by any means. Um, additionally, we will be having it's a return. Uh, a return to having a guest on the show, but it's a new guest, so it's not a return for that guest. But uh, yes, so look forward to that. Both Never Ending Story and a guest episode. Because we haven't had one in well over a year. So it's yep. very exciting. Very yeah. exciting. But yes, that would be the, the announcement. That before, is before that. Wrap up. Yes, that is in fact the announcement. <laughs> and yeah, right? Uh, and <laughs> I... I Mm. It, it's early, Dave. It's early, and I've been, I've, been, I've, okay. It's I, I, I recently got a kitten. Which, hey, guess what? Uh, in the this housekeeping, I'll be giving some information about myself. Uh, so I have been stressed out for like a week, for nearly a week straight, because uh, I am a very large person, and this kitten is tiny and precious, and I will protect it with my life. And so I have been on high alert for all movement, uh, and that has left me exhausted. Uh, so to transition seamlessly over to the housekeeping portion, people uh, can find me online at Dr. Faust is Dead on Twitter. Um, hey, guess what? If you start following me, you're going to see pictures of my cat. He's real cute. Um, you should you should do that if you like cute cats, uh, cute black cats that are adorable and very uh, tiny. And, can, <laughs> and very tiny. I'm t I'm serious. He he just fits in my the palm of my hand. Um, and you can also find me on YouTube uh, under uh, YouTube.com backslash Doctor Faust is dead. 
where I am currently, I have just posted a quick teaser of, of my uh, uh, upcoming video, uh, Greece, A Beautiful Sorrow, and uh, all of my previous video essays up until this point. Uh, check it out. And Dave, where can people find Cameron online? They can find Cameron on Twitter at night underscore twitten, and that's night without a K. And sometimes he also has cat pics too. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and Dave, where can people find you on? You can find me pretty much exclusively on Twitter at sentinot underscore plus. That will be in the notes because I don't feel like spelling it out. <laughs> All right. And that has been, this has been the fun, exciting, completely not horrifying, unsettling episode of Monster Dear Monster. Yes, and that will be us <laughs> signing off, even though this particular episode is actually a lot less depressing than the usual Lugati Fair, but uh, yes. we'll make up for it next time. <laughs> yes, yes, we will, we will, we will, uh, we will use a bit of uh, uh, 80s childhood trauma to, to ramp up the dread. Because <laughs> oh, why not? Because it was was acceptable (laughs) in the 80s, it was acceptable at the time. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Goodbye, everyone. Bye-bye, folks.